And here in Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah is you know, 700 years or so before Christ, maybe a little bit more. And he's looking ahead and he's thinking to himself that even though, even though Israel was politically in kind of their silver age, the, the second best period of time in all of their history after King Solomon, even though politically Israel was in their silver age, religiously it was terrible devastation. Where were the believers? Isaiah would wring his hands and wonder. What would come of God's promises? It looks like the entire, the entire family line of David had been cut down to nothing. And where was this church that God had promised? Where was this group of people to whom the Messiah would come? And God gave him the, the impulse and the words to write. And so after, apparently, after um, you know, 20, 30, maybe even 40 years serving as the prophet publicly, then for the last 30 or so years of his life, Isaiah simply wrote and didn't do any preaching publicly. And as he put pen to paper, this is what he, he wrote. This will take place in the latter days. The mountain of the Lord's house will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it like a river. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Then he will instruct us about his ways, and we will walk in his paths. And with those words, we see it. And we see how it all fits together. We see it after um, living 2,000 years after Jesus walked the earth in his public ministry. But Isaiah didn't. Because Isaiah's perspective on these things is, is that he's looking forward to the Messiah coming. And it's um, almost, like, almost like when you're driving across the country and you spend, you know, three, four, five hours through uh, the Dakotas or Nebraska or Kansas and, um, and there aren't any trees and it's flatter than Northwest Ohio. And you keep driving and then all of a sudden in the distance you see this wall of the mountains. And there in the distance, it looks like, like, like these mountains are just an absolute wall. You're going to keep driving until all of a sudden there are the mountains. But um, from a long way off, that's what it looks like. And then as you get closer, you start to realize, oh, there's, there's foothills and these two peaks that looked like they were stacked on top of each other are actually spread out by a distance of uh, perhaps even miles. And you would be driving through the mountains for nearly as long as you were driving across the plains. But you wouldn't know that from a distance. From a distance, it looks as you're looking ahead and saying, this is what it's going to look like and this is what it's going to be when I get there. It looks like it all happens at once. And Isaiah has that sort of perspective. That he's in the wasteland. Not necessarily Nebraska, but... Um, I haven't lived there. I haven't driven through there, but if it's as boring as Iowa was, then it's about the same. Isaiah was in the spiritual wasteland as he was looking ahead to God's promise of a Messiah and wondering, how is God going to fulfill this? And he's looking around, and he's looking around at a nation that didn't really care because everything was going well. 
They had a king, they had that king, wicked king Ahaz, and even though, even though he was morally corrupt and spiritually empty, boy oh boy, he got things done. And Isaiah is looking ahead and saying, when the Messiah comes, in those latter days when Messiah shows up, then, then everything will make sense and everything will be clear and the mountain of the Lord's house will be established as chief among the mountains. And what a beautiful day when all nations come streaming to Jerusalem again, not simply to come and trade with us, not simply to cut a treaty with us, but to worship the one triune God. And that, those words and that vision from God made Isaiah's heart swell with joy and swell with pride as he was looking forward to that day. And that leads us to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, which I guess the other guy we'll talk about before we get to our gospel reading is that guy John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who was out there at the Jordan River baptizing everybody who came to him um, in that baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And everybody comes to him, and he warns the Pharisees, who, flew, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And he spoke to these Pharisees, when the Messiah comes, he's going to clear his threshing floor with fire. And he's going to come in judgment on you all. And of course, the people were cut to the heart when they heard God's law like that. And after a year or two, as John the Baptist languished in prison, he began to have his doubts. He had pointed early on, look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he had said, this is the Messiah. This is the one about whom I said. This is the one that you know, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. But after two years of his own sitting in prison, John the Baptist asked, are you the one that we were supposed to expect, or should we look for somebody else? It's the exact same thing that Isaiah experienced. John the Baptist had been looking ahead to the coming of the Messiah, and he saw all the events of, of those latter days stacked up like a wall. When the Messiah comes, all of this is going to happen. When the Messiah comes, he's going to clear his threshing floor. He's going to come with fire. And we can't quite figure out this whole suffering servant bit from Isaiah chapter 53. But when Messiah comes, then everything will make sense and everything will get sorted out. And when Isaiah and John looked around, when John the Baptist looked around and said, well, where's the judgment? Where's the punishment on the enemies of God? what they were dealing with was exactly the same thing that you're dealing with when you're driving across the Great Plains of the United States. The exact same thing when you look in a distance, when you're looking from a distance, it looks like everything happens at once. But then as you start traveling through the foothills and the mountains, you see that many of these events are actually separated by quite a space of time. And that leads us exactly into our gospel reading today. Because as Jesus comes, yes, he comes in judgment. Yes, he comes to be the suffering servant. And most of all, as we celebrate Advent here, as reflected in the blue at the front of church, as we celebrate Advent again, we are like these people who are still waiting for what Isaiah thought would have come already. 
We are the people who are still waiting between the first coming of Christ and his second coming at the end of time. We are the people, just as God's people have always waited, we are the people who are still waiting for God to fulfill his promises, each and every one of them. Even though he has fulfilled some of them, there are some that are still waiting to be fulfilled. He has fulfilled the promise of, yes, the Messiah from the house of the family line of David. But we're still waiting for even what John the Baptist had said, that when Messiah comes, he will clear his threshing floor with fire. That we are like, like that little family station wagon traveling through the foothills and the mountain passes and saying, there's still more to come. We're looking ahead. We're looking ahead to what this Messiah will do as we wait for that final promise and that final return, that final coming of our Lord. And the only way to be ready for that coming, the only way to be ready for his coming in judgment and with raging fire on all the enemies of God, yeah, he talks that way. The only way to be ready for when the Messiah comes and he clears his threshing floor with fire, if you think of it as like a gigantic grain silo burning down, you might get the picture. When he comes in judgment, the only way that we can be ready for that is to see him as he comes today. And this is what Matthew writes. Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king comes to you, humble and riding on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and a very large crowd spread their outer clothing on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them out, saying and shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And the question that rippled through the crowd who is this? The question that rippled through the crowd then is the question, yes, that we still ask today, but we, we do not have um, the distortion of time, as Isaiah and John the Baptist did. As they were waiting for the Messiah to come in judgment, we see that there's some space of time between that last judgment and his first coming. And so this question, who is this? Who is this Messiah who comes, gentle and riding on a donkey? Because we are, are expecting a Messiah to come and, uh, and to come in judgment. This Messiah is yours and mine. This Messiah is coming to prepare his people for his second coming. This Messiah comes and he conceals his divinity. He conceals his divine power and glory and might. And he hides it so that he can be among his people so that he can walk among them as one who is humble. He can walk among them as one who is coming in grace, as one who is coming, yes, as a descendant of the family of David, but who is coming in particular to carry your sin and mine. He is coming as a king to prepare his people for his second coming. And that's what he still does today. That this Jesus, when he came, when he came on that, um, that Palm Sunday that we just read about, and when he came riding on a donkey to this entire crowd, if you think of Jerusalem as, um, as, as loud and as large and as raucous a crowd as any in Ann Arbor, there's our Michigan reference for the day. As you, as you think of Jerusalem as that raucous crowd, 
waiting and wondering, where is the Messiah? And they all start cheering, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Here he is, here is the one, as he goes on up all the way to the Temple Mount. And he goes there, not to take the crown just yet, but to carry your sin in mind. Not to simply come in judgment, because then who would stand? But to come to carry sin, yours and mine. And he comes in humility, concealing his divine power and glory and honor, so that even the little children could be shouting and joyfully running along behind, Hosanna, and echoing all the words that they had heard, Hosanna to the son of David. As the crowd asked and wondered, who is this? Even the little children, if you keep reading in Matthew chapter 21, even the little children were crying out, and the Pharisees were like, uh. And they wanted to have Jesus make the children stop. Not because the kids were so loud, but because the kids were right. And his answer, that the very stones would cry out if he told them to stop. Why? Because he came... He came in humility to prepare his people for his second coming. He still comes in humility where he conceals his divine power and glory and honor, where he conceals all of his divine blessings in the most humble and simplest of forms. And you'll notice that we still sing the same song, the same song that might even be echoed by the youngest among us, because he's been up since 4.45 this morning. The same song that might be echoed by the youngest among us, Hosanna to the son of David, that our king comes again, and he conceals his divine power and glory and honor, and yet he conveys the greatest of blessings and benefits. And once again, coming as a king to prepare his people for his second coming, to prepare his advent people as we journey through the hills and valleys of these latter days, and we look ahead to that final peak of his return, we can take joy and confidence that our king comes again. Hosanna. Actually, it reads like this. Holy, 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 Lord God of heavenly hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. The song of the angels from Isaiah chapter 6. And then you keep reading. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And immediately after that, we've got those words of institution where we recall the setting and the time and the place where this king had come to Jerusalem for the purpose of laying down his life at the cross. And where, in those words, the promise of Jesus um, is, is answered again, as he makes himself present together with the bread and the wine, exactly as he said, and how right it is that we echo the song of the angels, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And that we echo the words of the children, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Lord, save us. Because your king has come, and he still comes. That he came exactly as Isaiah had, had prophesied, even though from Isaiah's perspective, it looked like one and the same event, his first coming and his second coming in judgment. From Isaiah's perspective, and even from John the Baptist's perspective, they didn't see the distance of time between. But that's exactly where we live in the hills and valleys of these latter days, prepared once more by the king who comes humbly, not riding, under, not riding on a donkey, but in with and under, 
who comes humbly to prepare his people once again, to prepare his people who receive him as he is. We don't have to ask, who is this? We know who he is. And we cry out with a spiritual reality that he has told us, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Your Messiah has come to save you and to, pre and to prepare you. Amen. Amen.